come before you, God, and we are mindful of grace. Grace that allows us to enter into your presence. Grace that has come because of the accomplished work of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. We can only cry holy because of the work of Jesus in our lives. And we thank you, Spirit of God, that you've begun to show us what it means to be set apart, to be holy. Now, as we turn our attention to your word, we ask that you'd be with us. Spirit of God, may you take your word as only you can and transform our hearts by it. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Uh, this is a very fascinating portion of Scripture. It's fascinating in part for a couple of reasons. One is that when you reflect back on Acts 10, you have the very similar account recorded by Luke twice. Once, as it occurs, the other is from Peter's perspective, as Peter recounts it. And so whenever this is occurring in Scripture, and you see a similar account happening more than once, anything in Scripture happening once is, of course, critical, but whenever you see it being repeated, God is letting us know that he's repeating it because of its essentiality to the gospel. So you could see that in the creation account as an example. In the creation account, you can see marriage, the pattern of marriage given in Genesis 1, patterned a number of times in Scripture. I mean, it's picked up by Jesus. It's reiterated again by the Apostle Paul. And whenever you see patterns like that in Scripture... Psalm 14, Psalm 53, right? You know they're the identical psalms. Two psalms in the psalms are almost word for word the same. Why? Because of how important that psalm is. And then it's repeated again in Romans. Paul picks up on it. So whenever something's repeated like that, you have to ask yourself, why? Why is God doing this? Acts chapter 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying. In a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. It came down to where I was. I looked into it. I saw four-footed animals of the earth wild beasts, reptiles, birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up into heaven. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring a message through which you and your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he'd come on us in the beginning. When I remembered what the Lord had said, John will baptize with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. You have here Peter giving a recount. He's been called to task. The other Jewish people have said, what's going on? We've heard you've ate with Gentiles. Now I explain this. There's a bunch of this I exegeted last week in the first part of this passage in Acts 10. But I am going to repeat a couple of things. Why are they considered unclean? I mean, the law actually never specifically says that you're unclean for coming into contact with a Gentile. But what happens is because Gentiles would eat food that was unclean, because Gentiles would come into contact with that which was unclean, you then assume because you'd been in the presence of Gentiles that you were unclean. And if you were unclean, you couldn't enter the presence of God. You had to be cleansed in order to do so. And so the Jewish people were just like, avoid the Gentiles. Don't go near the Gentiles. And so far in the book of Acts, Acts has gone to who? The gospel has gone to who? The gospel has gone to Jewish people and to God-fearing Gentiles. So the Gentiles that we've seen that have come to faith in Christ have been those in Samaria that Right? The Samaritans, you know this, I've talked about this so many times, are, are the people from Assyria that mixed with the Jewish people. So when the Assyrians occupied the northern kingdom and they took some of the leadership out from the northern kingdom, out back to Assyria in the occupation before the Babylonian exile, right? Assyrian, Babylon, Persia, Greek, then Rome. If that's your history, those were the world powers of the day coming one after the other. So the Assyrians took them out into exile, and those Jewish men, specifically the leaders, then of course married Assyrian women, those are the Samaritans. And that's why when Jesus has the encounter with the woman at the well, she talks about some of the things that are very similar to Scripture and yet very different, because they also based their beliefs on the Old Testament. Then you have the Ethiopian eunuch, but again, he was a God-fearer. He had gone to the temple from Ethiopia, a long journey. Wasn't allowed in because he was a eunuch, but trying to understand who God is. So, so far in Acts, the only people that we have encountered are people that would have been considered clean. They're people that would have been considered clean. And if the Jewish people had been in contact with them, they wouldn't have become unclean for doing so. And now the rumors traveled back and said, Peter has gone so far as to be in the house of Gentiles. Peter, what's going on? What's happening? And Peter offers the explanation. He recounts what we read in Acts 10 in his own words. I want you to note this. This is critically important. In verse 1, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, that the word of the Lord had gone out to them, that God had spoken to them, The word of God is living and active. And what did they do? Did you hear this in verse 2? They criticized him. They criticized him. Peter, what are you doing? What's going on? Peter explains that he had a vision. We also know that Cornelius had a vision. Cornelius had a vision from an angel. You saw it in the video that he should call Peter. Peter had a vision and three times, just like he denied Jesus three times, Just like Jesus restored him three times. Three times there's a vision. 
And he says that you are to go because Cornelius has been told that someone, you will come and bring a message through which his household will be saved. Through which his household will be saved. And Peter says, as I spoke, God's spirit just fell. As I spoke, God's spirit just showed up. Now, we know they spoke in tongues. It says that, and I talked about how this is the Gentile Pentecost, right? Peter even reiterates that later on here in the passage. Um, he says it in verse 15, 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. It's the Gentile Pentecost. That's why you see so many similarities between Acts 10 and Acts 2. Look for those in Scripture. They're important as you read your Bibles. And so here what happens is they go, wow. They hear what has happened. Peter explains that the Spirit fell on them, that this is the gift of God, the same gift that they received as the apostles, is the gift that now they had. And it was for us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so who was I to stand in the way of God? When they heard this, verse 18, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, so even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Did you catch that? Repentance leads to life. We've offended God. Our sin is an offense to God. Firstly and foremostly, always, our sin is against God. Though you may have sinned against your spouse, you've sinned against God. Though you may have sinned against your neighbor, you've sinned against God. Though you may have sinned against your employer, you've sinned against God. Our sin is always, firstly and foremostly, an offense against God. We just saying it because he's holy, without sin, without spot, without blemish. And so we repent. We repent. I ask my wife for forgiveness when I sin against her. I repent when I sin against God. Those are very different things. When was the last time you came before God in repentance? When was the last time you just cried out to God because of your sin? When was the last time you recognized how sinful you are and how holy you, God is, and you just said, God, my sin? It should happen almost every day. You know that, right? Or you really don't have a good view of your sinfulness. You don't have an accurate depiction of who you are. You think of yourself way more highly than you ought. If you're not continually coming before God in repentance over your sin, who do you think you are? We should be constantly coming before God in repentance, not for salvation. We're saved based on the accomplished work of Christ. And when Christ has saved us, we're his children. But constantly what happens in our relationship with God is we create this barrier between God and us continually in our relationship with him. That's sin. That's why the word of God will say in the New Testament that we can grieve or quench his Holy Spirit. And so we come before him in repentance continually. Our lives should be lived in a posture of repentance before the Lord. Is yours? Did you repent about something yesterday? Friday? I mean... Have you not done it because you've forgotten that you sin? And so we repent. We come before God. But I want you to know what happens in the text. 
As we read through this text, they're critical of Peter. They're actually critical of him. I mean, what has happened? What's going on here? They actually say, we know the word of God has gone out to the Gentiles. What have you done? What have you done? And when Peter explains his actions, thankfully, they're all convinced God's spirit fell on them, and they now rejoice. But how many people do I know who when God is calling them to something, they have godly people around them that are like, what are you thinking? What do you mean God's calling you to Peru? What do you mean you're staying in Poland? I mean, you know we have missionaries in Poland right now, right? Ben and Krista. Krista's sister and, and uh, Jen Meisner, part of our church family here, husband Matt, and ben, uh, ben and Krista serving the Lord faithfully in Poland. And as they're serving the Lord faithfully in Poland, they're now helping with the, some of, they're not helping with all of them, some of the millions of refugees coming into Poland. They are right there with children, raising them in Poland. I mean, it'd be easy right now to say, okay, we have served the Lord here for a while. It's been a hard ministry. It has been a hard ministry. Let's come home. I, I know uh, Jen and Krista's dad well. He helped to organize the conference yesterday, so I've spent some time with him in the last couple of weeks. And although, you know, uh, although Krista's parents, you know, are nervous for them and their grandkids, they're also praying faithfully for them. They're also encouraged by their faith. They're also walking alongside of them in this. I hope when you get the emails that go out about them that you take them and pray for them. But so many people can, because I'm so critical of others, is they say, you know, this is something we think God's called us to do. This is the people we think God has called us to reach. This is the place where we think God has called us to go. That happened here when we started to work in the North End. I mean, you can read the papers now, and it's called the desirable North End, but when I came here, it was the third poorest community in the whole country. One community in Toronto was poor, one in, Van, uh, in, sorry, in Vancouver was poor, then Austin, back to Toronto, then Montreal. This was the third poorest community in the whole of the country. I remember there was a season, there was a, a period of time at the survey over here that's being turned, uh, torn down, and my wife and I, you know, we just live, I can walk to the survey in seconds. And uh, there were five shootings in six weeks. Five shootings in six weeks. I remember my mom having a conversation with me because there were now grandkids in there, but she really wasn't as concerned about me anymore. It all changes when you have grandkids. The focus alters substantially. And uh, she's like, what about my grandkids? I'm like, what about your kids? She goes, you can do what you want, but maybe they should come live with me. Right? Maybe my grandkids should be up here. And, and it can be hard because it can be criticized by so many decisions around where God's calling you to go and who he's calling you to witness to. And yet, Peter faithfully listened to God and the Lord chose to save them. Verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So after Peter is killed, 
The only person that's mentioned for us is the deacon Philip. I mentioned why I believe he's the deacon Philip and not the apostle Philip when we were going through the passage earlier. But Philip's the only one named. But as the persecution scatters, a whole group of unnamed believers head out. Because sometimes persecution is God's means to get his word spread. Sometimes persecution is the way that God will choose to use in the scattering of, of his people for the word to be spread. And these people who are persecuted and scattered because of their faithfulness to the word now only saw a new audience. I remember when Todd and Jennifer Miller were serving the Lord in a closed Muslim country and they came home for three months on you know, home assignment. While they were home here, uh, they'd been serving for a number of years there with the Uzbek people in Uzbekistan. The Lord, uh, sorry, the, the government, not the Lord, the government found out what they were doing for the Lord there. They went into their house, they confiscated it, and they took all their belongings. Now, you can only imagine, if you've come to Canada on a plane for three months, and you've lived in Uzbekistan for, I don't know, I think 12 or 13 years at that time, how much of your life is in Uzbekistan? Your whole life. All your family photos. You don't bring them on a plane home with you for three months. Everything that you've collected. It'd be like the government going to your house tomorrow while you're at work and taking all of your belongings and saying you can't come back here. How would you react? So they prayed about what the Lord would have them do. They believed the Lord wanted them to serve with the Uzbek people. I mean, they served the Lord faithfully for a long time. It would have been easy just to say, we're done. We've, we've done what God called us to do. But they knew there were a group of Uzbek people in Tajikistan, and so they then went from Uzbekistan, from, well, from Canada on home assignment, and instead of being able to go back to Uzbekistan, they went and served the Lord in Tajikistan for a number of years and rebuilt everything and realized that the stuff they had lost was just stuff. Because that's what God's people do in the midst of persecution. As God's people are scattered, they just see a new audience to share with, a new group of people to talk to, others that they can share the faith God has given them with. And some began to preach. This is happening even before Peter has gone to the Gentiles. They go, some of them, um, to the Greeks. These are likely both Greeks that are Jewish and non-Jewish. These are likely Hellenistic Greeks. Um, and so they're, 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 they're or Hellenistic Jews. They're they're Jewish people who've adopted the Greek way of life, but they're also likely Gentiles who are Greeks. And as they're there and they're telling them the good news about Jesus, the Lord's hand is with them, and a whole number of them believe and turn to the Lord. That is good news. And through Acts, on a number of occasions, I've shared with you God's work around the world. I've shared with you the incredible work of God, specifically in the Southern Hemisphere. Numbers of people around the world that are coming to faith in Christ. I share with you the story of South Korea that literally in 1874 was virtually without Christ. And how within a hundred years, because missionaries went in, it's 30% evangelical. And we can hear those numbers and stats that feel like, it's okay, this is good. And God is on the move. But listen to these stats today. There are 17,432 people groups in the world. 7,402 of those groups, 7,402 of those groups are unreached. That represents, in terms of population, 
41.5% of our world's population. And at our present rate of evangelism, there are nearly 2 billion people on the planet that will never hear the gospel. At our present rate of evangelism, there are nearly 2 billion people of the just over 7 billion people on our planet that will never hear the gospel. And so what should that say to us? I mean, as the early church filled with the Holy Spirit, you know God's Spirit is in you, right? Is faced with persecution. And they move for their lives. But there's nothing wrong with We looked at this a few weeks ago. Stephen Stone did that. But Paul, the, the apostle, as he saved, rescued on a couple of occasions, right, right there in the early chapters of Acts 9, as he's taken from place to place so that God's ministry in him can be fulfilled. And sometimes that's what God's going to do. So who's going to go? Who's going to begin to reach the 7,402 people groups around our world? I mean, we've been praying that God will soon allow, just open the doors for Deirdre to go. Right? And she's longing to do that. And we've been praying, oh God, would you open those doors that they really shut for her through COVID? But who else? What if in the next couple of years, two or three others of us did this? We just packed up and left and went by the calling of God to serve him in that way. You see, all of us are part of the Great Commission. There, there are some things in Scripture that are true of all believers. The one another's in Scripture are true of all believers. All of the one another's, to love one another, to be hospitable to one another. They are true of all believers at all times. They are given to all of us. The call to unity is given to all believers. And the call to witness is given to all believers. You know that, right? The Great Commission is for everyone. It's for everyone, without excuse this morning. If you're a believer this morning, you have no excuse as it comes to witness. Oh, but Dwayne, I don't know what to share. Is God's spirit in you? Oh, but Dwayne, what if they ask me a question? I don't know. Listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to mitigate that. You know you live in a day where you can get some of the best training available in all of human history around how to articulate your faith. So therefore go into all the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. I didn't actually start the passage where I should have. All authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus says, has been given to me, therefore go. He bookends it with his authority and his presence. All authority is his. I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission is bookended by the power and presence of Jesus. You want to know how you go? You go in his power and with his presence. Is that not great news? You go because his power enables you to go, and you go because he is with you to the very end of the age. So let me ask you this. Where are you living right now? I just want you to think about your address. Maybe back home, maybe if you're a student, your dorm. That is your go. That is your go. Hopefully you prayed about wherever you've purchased a home or rented an apartment fervently. Because wherever you live, that's your mission center, right? Your, your home isn't your castle. Your home isn't your fortress. Your home is your ministry center. So your home is. Your home is a place where believers should be welcomed in to be encouraged in their faith 
and non-believers should come in to hear the gospel. That should be your home, a ministry center, a, a place of ministry. That should be your home. And where's your address right now? Just think about your place. Think about the neighbors around you. I mean, next week we're baptizing a student from Redeemer who came to Christ. God saved him in his first week at Redeemer with dorm conversations. I've been involved with Redeemer for a long time. I'm good friends with Dave Zietzma. I mean, I officiated at their wedding. Amy was in Dave's wedding party, Dave and Anna, and Anna was in our wedding party. I've known them for a long time. Kevin Johnson, he and I talked yesterday. We're going for lunch tomorrow. Kevin and I have known each other for 20 some odd years. And uh, I don't know what he, whatever he does. Kevin does something at Redeemer. I don't know what he does. I'm going out with him tomorrow. He does something um, at Redeemer. Sorry, I should know probably, but I'll ask him tomorrow. Um, I'm sure it's on his signature at the end of the emails. Um, and I know, I could name Redeemer students who I know don't know the Lord. Where is your go? Think of the address of where you live, the people around you. Think about your workplace, where God has positioned you at work. Think about your family and the family members that you're with that you love. That is your go. Wherever you are living, wherever you are working, wherever you are playing, that is your go. That is your go. And if God's not calling you to the 7,402 people that are unreached around the world, those groups, it's because, it's because this is your go. This is your go. But we make all kinds of excuses as to why it's not. When was the last time you prayed for your neighbors? When was the last time you prayed for your colleagues at work? When was the last time you prayed for the people walking in to our facility and are living with us and our programs? This is your go. This is your go. On Thursday, I was being interviewed by someone who is doing their dissertation on missional church. And they asked me all these questions about missional church. When I, when I preach across the country, people often introduce me as some missional church expert. And I always correct them and say, I'm not. And I actually don't ever talk about James North as being a missional church. I, I never talk like that. I mean, our, in our early years here, I said to him, a group of us just sat down and said, we think that God's granted us this facility for a reason here in the North End. And um, we just think we're supposed to move in and be missionaries. This was our go. And we're just supposed to live incarnationally. And, and we didn't know how to talk about mission and missional and all this kind of stuff. We just, we just said, if this is where God's placed us, let's just move in. I know that's become harder over the years as the homes are worth so much more. And I don't, I'm not saying I believe it, God's calling all of us to live around here anymore the way I believe that. And one, one, time, one time we always said we wanted everyone here to prayerfully consider moving around the church. I still believe that. I just realize that it's harder for many of us when the homes are selling at these exorbitant rates. But we just sat down and said, how do we be missionaries right here? That's it. It wasn't overly complicated. I'm not saying it wasn't hard. But it wasn't complicated. And how, if we're going to be missionaries right here, how do we live incarnationally? What does it mean to do that? Well, 
the text gloriously gives us some hints. I got to hurry here to be done in a few minutes, but verse 22, listen to this. News of this reached to Jerusalem. News of what? Of the fact that the believers had been scattered, and as they've been scattered, there was witness, and as there was witness, did you hear what happened? The Lord's hand was with them, his presence and power, like the Great Commission, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. That's verse 21. So news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas, name means son of encouragement, to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with their great hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Do you need encouragement? Don't we all? Isn't walking with the Lord hard sometimes? Isn't the combativeness from the world challenging sometimes? I mean, when people at work now hear that you're a believer and you believe God created, people just assume you're anti-intellectual. When you think of sexuality, I don't know if you read this this past week, but there were massive articles written based on studies done recently saying, is is the new marriage non-monogamous and open? Is the new marriage in North America non-monogamous and open? I don't know if you saw it. It was all in the papers. It was everywhere this week because of studies that have just been done about the harm of monogamy. I mean, we, God, and then God, because he's being attacked, us, are being attacked about everything we believe. Don't you need encouragement? Don't you need people to walk alongside of you? This is what, this is what, Barnabas does. He has the gift of encouragement. And he's glad when he sees that they're being saved, he's encouraging them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He's teaching and talking and walking and loving and placing courage into people. And what happens? Well, he's a man also full of the Holy Spirit. And a great number of people are brought to the Lord. So then Barnabas went to Tarshish. He went and found Saul. He finds him. He brings him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul meet with the church and they teach great numbers of peoples and the disciples are called Christians there first. You know, yesterday as 300 and some of us gathered for a conference at West Highland that I helped to organize and uh, some of these pastors that were part of this core group with me had never organized anything like this before and, um, and we were talking, you know, we had lawyers come and talk to us and, and um, we, had, we had experts in culture come and talk to us and and we were really agonizing over how do we navigate this day. At the end of the day, as a few of us were packing up, a couple of the pastors came to me and said, this is the best day I've ever been a part of in my life. I said, well, hopefully your wedding day and the, you know, the day your kids were born or something was also really good. But, um, but they were like, I've, I've never walked away from a day with brothers and sisters who have been so encouraged ever before. Never been so encouraged by what God is doing, by who he is, by how he's strengthening us, by how he's walking alongside us. I've just never been this encouraged ever before. Because it's odd, isn't it? How the world can throw everything it wants at you and you can still be encouraged because God's spirit is still in you. Because his peace is still granted to you. Because all authority is still his. Is that not good news? 
all authority is still his. And he is with you always to the very end of the age. That's why Paul could say to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, you can take whatever you want from me. But you can't touch my soul. It belongs to the living God. And that should give us hope. And so in the midst of all of that persecution, in the midst of all of that trial, Barnabas shows up to teach He brings Saul along to help him, and he encourages. And the soil of encouragement tills so deep that people around again are saved. Well, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Some of them, one of them, sorry, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine would be spread through the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each was able, provided, decided to provide help for brothers and sisters living in Judea. And they did this, sending gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. You see this all through Acts as part of the encouragement. Those that had more took the more they had and gave it to those that had less. It happens in Acts 2, it happens in Acts 4, it happens all through Acts. Distribution of food in Acts 6, and now here in Acts 11. You know, listen, we are not prepared to do this right now. I am not saying we're about to do this this week. But I I began to think about how we do this as a church community. I mean, this morning Derek asked for eight pies. Surely we can make eight pies to help people living in North Atlantic. Now, please, don't make a pie if you can't. That's not judgmental. I mean, some of you just looked at me like, I'd make a pie, and you look like you're 18. I'm like, can you make a pie? Like, your eyes were all aglow, and I'm like, really? If you can make a pie, that's fine, but if you can't, I mean, I can make eclairs. I can hardly make anything, but as a kid, my mother taught me to make eclairs. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know why I can't do anything else. Can't make lasagna, but I can make eclairs from scratch, right? Make the pastry, like do the whole thing, and occasionally I make them, and people are like, Wow, you can make eclairs. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I, my mom taught me this. For some reason, one of the most complicated desserts she taught me to make. And, and I enjoy it. Now, Jonathan, I've heard you can make, John, sorry, eclairs. And I heard there needs to be an eclair off one day. But I heard from my son that yours are incredible, so I'm nervous. Um, but anyway, with that said, uh, I thought to myself, with, with, with coffees on and our own kids, we, we have money. You are so, we, we have such a generous church. And so many of us, whenever we call out for help with benevolent, you just give generously and help. But what if, what if there were some better ways? What if every week we were able to email out a list of things that we needed supplied for coffees on, and instead of just always buying it, what if some people in our church with their kids went out shopping for it? And, and taught their kids how to help those in need. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying we're about to move to that Monday. I'm now giving everyone that looks after this stuff logistically maybe a little bit of a nightmarish headache in this moment. But I, I, I'm just thinking to myself this week, how do we do this together? What does this look like for us? How do we come alongside the people? How do we teach these values to our children? Jesse, you guys can come up. And so this is the Acts 
or the gospel in Acts going to the Gentiles. Acts 10, the Gentile Pentecost. Acts 11, Peter explaining his actions. And as I close, I just want you to think of three things. One is this. As part of their encouragement, when those that had more saw that those that had less were in need, they simply took some of what they had and they blessed those that had less with what they had. They heard someone needed some winter boots and they went and bought them. They heard someone needed some food and they went and got it. And I know I was talking a minute ago about coffees on and our care for those in the neighborhood, but also right here in our congregation. How do we do that for each other? How do we do that when we've heard that someone's going through a bit of a trial and they've got kids at home and maybe it's babysitting kids? And then, as part of this, in the midst of all of the trial and difficulty, those with the gifts of encouragement, like Barnabas, just went and encouraged the believers. And I know some of you here have that gift, and we desperately need you to use it, because we live in a dark day. And there's people all around us here in this church that just need to be encouraged. That just need to have people come alongside of them and let them know that the Lord is with them. And then in the face of a culture that's shifting more rapidly than ever anticipated, though not by God, he's not caught by surprise. The believers saw what the culture was doing and said, this is simply a new opportunity to take the faith that God has given us and to go to the place where God has called us. And declare the gospel that has saved us. Because his power and presence are with us. Would you pray with me? We are thankful that you are our God and our King. And God, we confess that it's easy to just hide in a day that is dark. And yet we see in a dark day in the book of Acts that the believers didn't hide. Though they did scatter at times, so they did run, they ran to places where they would continue to share the gospel boldly and faithfully. God, would you help us to be those people? Would you help us to see that the workplaces and neighborhoods and schools, homes, family, where we are is our go until your spirit tells us to do something different. And God, we pray powerfully that you would raise up the sons and daughters of encouragement in our midst to encourage us so that we, God, may be fueled by your spirit to serve you faithfully. And as we hear of those that have need, may those of us that have more take some of what we had and share it with those that have less. God, we don't want to just hear about this church. In the first century, we want to be this church in 2022. So, Spirit of God, may you have your way in us so it may be so. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.